fitness enthusiasts and ultimate frisbee aficionados to the Tobu Fitness Podcast. Your guide to elevating your game and mastering the art of ultimate frisbee through the lens of strength and conditioning. Whether you're a seasoned player or just stepping onto the field for the first time, this podcast is your one-stop destination for unlocking your true potential. This is the Tobu Fitness Podcast with your host, certified strength and conditioning coach, Justin Shelby. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number seven. If you're watching this on the video, you can see it's a little bit different than usual. This is going to be our first uh, virtual interview. I guess done interviews before, but nothing virtual like this. And this is a guest I've wanted to bring on for a while. Really great guest. This is Felix from Hive Ultimate. Felix, how are you? Hello, Justin. I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, thanks for thanks for being here, man. I say I'm well. I've got COVID, so that explains my my voice and i'll probably sneeze a couple of times right uh you just told me just now but uh you want to talk about that a little bit like how was like you know where where you got it from and, and how that experience was <laughs> um it's a bit of a negative way to kick off but i i uh i got on my flight my la lax on the way back from um world beach i was in california filming uh, u.s nationals staying there for a week and then filming world beach and yeah, I got on the got on the ten hour flight, walked down the plane, saw my my seat, and it's like squashed between two people. One of whom was like overflowing into it, sat down, and then this this person was then coughing like every like twenty seconds, <laughs> and I could like I could smell their breath, and I was just like, oh, I'm definitely getting COVID. Um, and sure enough, three days after I land, test positive. Yeah, that's miserable. I didn't. Know, you were in the middle seat too. Yeah, it was one of the middle. Yeah, it's one of the middle seats. Yeah. That's rough. There's nowhere to escape there. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah how was uh beach worlds though do you like that yeah it was great yeah california weather is, is so nice and it's really good like when you're running around with the with the like roaming cam getting all the awkward player shots after they've scored um and then you you know you, you build up a sweat and stuff and then to have the break in the middle of the day where you can just go in the water and have a little swim was, was really really nice um and it's really cool to like meet all of the players again that i see at these kind of world championship events and catch up with them and um some of the boys that i was co- i've been coaching were playing for, for gb mixed and and one was playing for spain open actually some of my coachmen a long time ago um and gb open of course uh so it was really cool just to kind of see them in the in the in the international tournament setting and get a chance to to film them sometimes as well right on do you get like recognized a lot at events like that as felix from hive yeah 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 a lot of a lot of people recognize me i was like <laughs> so this brings to mind i was i had my empire hoodie on and i was walking through the car park after after the tournament and so i said oh hey nice hoodie and i looked and it was ben yacht and uh i'd actually stayed at uh, like i'd stayed in new york at one of the empire houses and i'd hung out with him for a couple of days <laughs> and i was like oh hey ben oh you know me and i took my hat off and he's like oh hey ben. <laughs> oh, that's awesome so, and then like yeah just random people like um a lot of people i recognize as well there's a lot of people like we both recognize each other but we haven't ever like spoken you know so i got to, i got to chat to um like i, I went i was gonna go and, and pick out rowan and chat to him um specifically and and as i was doing it like a lot of the other us players were like oh hey felix yeah i'm re- you know really really happy with like uh, all the content you're making and stuff keep up the work <laughs> and then like when you're at the parties and stuff you 
you, you can you can tell as you're like walking past people people have that kind of look of kind of recognition in their eye or whatever and some people will say hello who who haven't met me before but they think they've met me before because they've seen the video some people will like chat to me for a while and then recognize my voice and be like well yeah why does your voice sound so familiar and i'm like uh well in this video you're going to be mostly recognizing <laughs> me by my voice <laughs> that's yeah. awesome i think that's what's so cool about the ultimate community too is that it's like uh there's like the big names there's the superstars right and there's the the content creators and everything but at the end of the day ultimate's just such a niche sport that like even on the international scale like everybody knows everybody and you can go to a tournament like that and just like yeah have those random encounters with like an AUDL superstar <laughs> yeah. so I think that's that's really cool uh let's talk a little bit about your your background if you will just kind of tell the audience like who you are you know how you know how Hive started you know that sort of deal well I'm, I'm a player from England originally um who became coach after playing for a couple of years and um had some success with my with my club winning europeans in 2009 i started playing in like 2000 my first game was was 1998 i think um and yeah i picked up the sport pretty quickly um i was going to be gb in 2007 but i got like an injury and then made it gb into in in 2011 and played clapham um i've been coaching for like almost 10 years by that point and uh decided when i went to clapham that that like there must be a better way of playing the game because like the the strategy the tactics up at that level was were not impressive to me um, I'd, I'd always i've always i'd always played like a free-flowing style and then occasionally like played like more rigid kind of cutting patterns in horizontal um but then in Clapham, it was just like, okay, we got a new, we got a new strategy here because if we don't, if we don't adapt, then you know we stagnate. So here's the new thing, and I was excited about it, and it was just like a different cutting pattern from horizontal, and I was like, oh my god. Um, and then I watched, uh, I watched the World Cup. I watched Spain play play football in their uh, heyday around what 2011, 2012, and and all the tiki taka stuff, and watched them win, and I was like, there must be a way that we can emulate that kind of movement on the field um in ultimate um and then that's when i had that eureka moment um coming up with uh, or discovering hex um the how the triangles basically i was like i realized that spain were all about triangles and i was trying to like fit the goalkeeper in as well with like you know it'd be really good to have someone like behind the disc all the time and and then I realized the goalkeeper was actually just like part of the other seven players. And then suddenly the the, the shape formed. Um, and, you know, when, when you go further down into the line of like what's actually important, the actual overall shape isn't, isn't that important. So the name Hex itself is, is actually not a great name um, for it and can scare people away sometimes. Um, yeah, it's more about the the movement and things like that. Um, but, yeah, so I had this idea and then and then I was in a position where I was able to to introduce it to um, the team, the university team that I was coaching and the club team that I was playing in and coaching. And um, we ended up, the club team, we ended up like coming third in the country a few times, um, immediately kind of saw good things happen on the field um, when playing it. And um, then I kind of like, I coached GB uh, under 23s, 2015, um, with the Hex and Flex strategies and really successful year um 
lost in sudden death, I think, to then lose a three-way tie and ended up fifth. Um, but we took like the first half against the US, first half against Canada. Um, had a bit of a lull after that. And um, I don't know, like I go through kind of ups and downs. And I think 2016, I, I was brought into doing some filming because I'd done filming before, right? Like I started filming back in 2006. Filmed like the first first ever EUCF, like European Club Championship um, regular event. After filming 2016, the USA Japan final, I was I was looking at it being like, you know, this is like a such a legendary game. There's so many interesting kind of strategies at play. Um, like the Japan's defense was was like you know intriguing me, and I thought someone's got you know someone's got to analyze this. I can't wait till that happens. And as the months went by after the event, I was like, no one's going to, like, I, I've got to analyze it, right? That, okay, okay, I'm the one that needs to analyze it. <laughs> right. You know, is that be the difference you want to see in the world kind of thing. So when I made that video, it using just like an old gaming headset that I had because I played a lot of Quake in my time. And uh, after making that, then like it, I got all this positive feedback. And I was like, okay, sweet, I'm going to buy a nice microphone, which I still have, um, and then just start churning out some content. Nice. And that was kind of the, the birth of what Hive is now? Yeah, yeah, that was the original. Um, videos, 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 and then pandemic hit. And um, I think I started live streaming, and then Noah, Noah Brinkworth was saying he's, he's in, interested in getting involved. And so, you know, we were making clips out of my live streaming and my live streams. Then kind of progressed from there because I realized, like, I'd made Phoenix Ultimate and it had to be bigger than Phoenix Ultimate and I wanted it to be bigger than Phoenix Ultimate. So it couldn't be called Phoenix Ultimate anymore. So um yeah, me and Noah and Lou and a few others kind of got together and chatted about like the future and what we want to see and, and how we wanna shape things um internally and yeah, made the switch over to to Hive Ultimate and made a bunch of plans of what we want to do and, and the pandemic just gave us loads of time to be able to to implement those things and do those things and kind of hit the ground running get get a lot of the core ideas which you know i i always felt for years and years and years i just felt like i hadn't properly explained um like hex and flex primarily um it was like it's all finding on articles and stuff but i always imagined like making videos with animations and stuff but like i was constantly like you know coaching three times a week or whatever and every time it's like okay today i'm planning the session today i'm running the session it's just like you know the weeks get get ahead of you and just fly by uh, you never actually get around to get into the meat of the work um and the pandemic offered the opportunity to to do that um and since doing that um a lot of a lot more people have been able to kind of understand um what, what i've been trying to say um because yeah the, the explanation is a lot easier when you've got um visuals ahead of you and then and then when when teams start playing the things as well, you get loads of examples and yeah, like the it's like it's like starting a ball rolling, you know, it can be hard to to get it rolling, but then once it's going, it's just like going on its own accord. Yeah, for sure. And so you mentioned like uh you guys kind of came together and came up with a bunch of plans and like different ideas of what do you wanted to accomplish. Because I think a lot of people think about like when they think high ultimate, they immediately associate it with hex. And I know that like you said, that's a big part of you know what you guys do. Um but is there kind of like a 
Is there a bigger mission statement, bigger kind of bigger plan, or is it really trying to implement that that new offensive strategy? Higgs is just a strategy, right? Um, but it's I, I see Higgs as being like a, a different kind of category of, of strategy in a way. Like and and that there are loads of other approaches to the game possible. Um and Hex is is one of them. And and like there there can be several different strategies that are very similar to Hex. You know, any any flow-based offense. Um and I feel like all offenses up until well, not all, you know, but 90%, 95%, 98% offenses um, that teams would run um, are all about, you know, where's the space? Where's the active space? Where's the inactive space? How can we get players out of the way? How can we isolate players? Right? Um, and and the hex isn't about that. You know, like, those, there's a lot of questions that you can ask which you can answer about any other um, offense. You know, like, how, how does it deal with space? You know, it's a good one. Like, well, like where where is the space to attack and and in other offenses there's answers to that in hex it, like that's not a valid question like where is the space to attack it's like like anywhere you know like the whole field is space and but then also in like something like football you know is is that a valid question where is the space to attack and then that that's when it kind of gets interesting it's like although hex seems um weird and like advanced or whatever but it's definitely like not advanced it's, it's way more easy for beginners to learn um but hex seems kind of like as a as an outlying strategy and as a an alternative um strange strategy in ultimate but in other field sports like they all play something it's in the same category as hex like they all play that kind of like everyone spread out um and and adapt to the situation as it develops um rather than let's stand in a line oriented this way and, and try and run in this direction. I'm really answering the question there. I just got carried on, caught up talking about hex again, which is which is the part of the problem, right? It's like, like I I shouldn't I talk about hex too much. Like I I I should like stop saying the word hex. It's just it's it's got too much negative stuff associated to it. Um, and and like hive is about more than that, like for sure, you know. It, but you know, obviously, I I'm a big part of hive, and and hex has shaped a lot of stuff that I've done. I'm thinking like a lot of the players that are starting now that they could be playing in in the style which would be congruent with hex and they might never have even heard of hex right but like a lot of the different techniques and principles and 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 movement patterns and stuff are filtering down and and just you know integrating into youth ultimate especially um so like yeah hex can take a backseat hex is hex was useful as as a way of kind of explaining things um explaining a different approach but like very much from my point of view like am i like perfectionist you know ge geometrical perfection kind of idea of it rather than the way that makes sense to a lot of other people so i just stopped talking about it um hive is kind of more about bringing together um players and coaches especially coaches who have like a an open mind for um like how players can develop you know empowering players to Make their own decisions on the field to learn skills for themselves uh, rather than like prescribing things and running like you know these drills where you have to run in one direction and then the other direction it's more about you know let's learn let's learn the game like other people learn other games yeah for sure something i talked about in the past is like the idea of just being a sponge right like people talk about being a student of the game but then they're very selective in what they want to learn and what they don't want to learn and i think 
one of the best things that like young players can do or you know players at any level is just like constantly try to seek out different opinions and learn different things and then you can you can just then make your own decisions based on that like i try to surround myself with people that you know know more than me on the things that i don't know a lot about like on, on my page i'm not talking about strategy or i'm not talking about throws but i'm going to try to you know soak that up from other people and i think you know a lot of players can probably benefit from doing the same of like i think people hear things about different strategies or they hear things about different you know techniques and it's they adopt like this all or nothing like you know if i don't agree with it completely i'm not going to listen to any of it and there's like different principles like you're saying that are, that are super super valuable uh, i know you said you don't want to talk about hex but i guess like hive hex like what are some i guess like big misconceptions you think because i think there like you said there is a little bit of like a maybe a negative viewpoint of it and are there any like things that you want to clear up any like big misconceptions you would want to address rowan said on his instagram hex is uh, rigid or he doesn't you know, he doesn't approve of rigid systems and and like uh, hex is like the opposite of rigid you know in my mind especially when compared to to like stacks um like yeah i i and i i can kind of see how you might think when you when like you think about the shape of a hexagon be like oh that sounds like very prescribed again why hex is a bad name um but it's the it's like the most fluid and dynamic kind of like do what you want you know offense out there like you have total freedom um to do whatever works um so long as you don't all cluster together in the same place or or like look off open passes and stuff like that like a few a few simple principles and then, and then just loads of choice um about what you want to do with them so that's what that's one like misconception uh what would what, what do you think about about this like what misconceptions do you think now that you, we've chatted for a while over a few calls and making videos together and stuff i guess yeah just to give any listeners background you and i did uh quite a bit of like collaboration videos we did like a lot of um instagram videos specifically about the throw and go and i think like with hex again i'm not going to try to understand or not going to try to pretend like i know like you know what what's the best strategy but just looking at hex and like just that style of um play like you're saying like a lot of it carries over it's just like that that quick movement kind of that like carries over and you know you look at a, a host stack or a vert stack it's like you're starting to see a lot of that at the higher level that really quick kind of dishy small ball style stuff so i think the the biggest principle is just like from my expertise the way i look at it is just like the ability to accelerate out of things very very quickly like instead of kind of maybe that old style of like you throw and you just wait or you throw and you just kind of quickly or not even quickly you just kind of slowly jog back to becoming the dump or becoming the handler it's like no you can have a lot of power by just very quickly like you know uh throwing it and then immediately becoming a cutter again and then getting open because a lot of times you know your mark's not really expecting that or your mark's going to be uh, too slow to kind of react, and you're going to have a step on them really quickly. And if you and if you if you like pass forward and run out of that throw and then get it back, then you're essentially in a power position, right? Like even though the even though the pass that's going to you is like a negative yards pass, it's puts you in a power position. Getting there just moving forward, and you can see the whole field sets you up for a hook or whatever else you want to do. Um, and then if you think you're passing forward twenty yards, that's that's twenty yards of, of cutting space for you to get into power position. When the defender is like the defender on force is probably like right around the other side of the player and the person that's trying to defend you has just been stood still on the break side of you a second ago so like 
you throw open side, you run open side. If they then have to cover you going open side behind the disc, then they have to overcommit and you have to then then you can go the other way and get it on the break side even more even more valuable. And if you throw 20 yards forwards, then you've got 20 yards to play with to try and get the disc back in your hands um, in a power position. Um, I think it's a massively under underutilized kind of part like option, I guess, on the field. Just kind of going off of that, like um, I know we talked before about like how acceleration also like doesn't have to be this big like explosive thing. Like I think that's a big misconception in ultimate in general is like. I think a lot of people think that there's ultimate has this like very specific style of acceleration, right? And it's just like, no, the way you accelerate in ultimate is probably the same way you accelerate in all other team sports like football, like basketball. And a lot of times it's, it's not the same as track where in track it's like, because you're only running straight and you don't have to react to something, you don't have to change direction or anything. It's like, you can take these really big and kind of explosive like acceleration steps, but in ultimate, it's like a lot of times you almost look like Sonic the Hedgehog, where it's like those the feet turn very very quickly. But I think that's a huge advantage. Like when you uh, when you watch some of like the best players do that throw and go, or they throw and then just immediately like go past their defender. Like it's not a huge kind of explosive step. It's like these really quick steps that I think then help them with what you're saying of like if your guy overcommits, well you can immediately come back because you yeah. take these small steps that you know allow you to come back down to the ground quickly and change direction if you need to. If you take these massive steps, it's longer to react, right? Right, right. I think I think it's also it's also that um the old prince will have take what they give you, right? That we learned from Paranetta and Zaslow's ultimate techniques and tactics. Take what they give you. So if if I'm stood in the stack and my guys on mark me covering me open side, poaching off a tiny bit, you know, just a step or two. I should drift towards the break side. I should look for passes over to the break side, right? like move away from the defender for the easy option. Um, if you've got the disc in your hands, your defender stood on the break side, right? So you're you're like free open side, but you got the disc in your hands, so you can't run. So as as you throw the disc, just move away from your defender, right? Because then you're you're, you're free open side. Your defender then has to work twice as hard to try and stop that. You know, so you, so you don't have to be explosive, whether you're trying to be explosive with big steps or small steps. You just have to be like, oh, this is the thing that you're giving me, so I'm just going to take it until you take it away. Too many times I'm seeing people who will will pivot out and throw on the open side, and then and then run like away from where the disc went, like behind their defender. Sometimes they have to like change direction to like get around their defender to put themselves behind the defender. You know, it's like the opposite of what they should be doing. Do you think that's one of like the biggest? like trends i guess like this is kind of my next question but like what are some of the biggest trends you're starting to see in ultimate is it kind of that shift more to that small ball style yeah yeah that there, there's a lot more kind of um short passes and 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 quick movement and possession based ultimate rather than like play based right looking to just patiently move the disc up rather than looking for the deep shot and and being patient while you're doing it you know what i mean um so we're seeing that we're seeing that more, um, and sometimes it's just like one or two players, like Joe White uh, in the semi-final um, was was getting every other pass for a while, but like there was no like continuation um, when he would do it. He would, he would like pass someone, get the disc back, and then there'd be like a pause. No one would be free. He'd pass someone, get the disc back. No one would be free. <laughs> like, um, and I think once I think there's several levels beyond that. Basically, like if you have players who who are doing those things, that's great. But then if you then have a system which supports that, that's even better. 
Um, in that specific example, I think if if Joe had like isolated players near him, then he'd be able to bounce the discs off them without having to wait for people to get free. Uh, what else am I seeing? Seeing more of? There's a bit more of like um, there's a bit more of like team defense starting. We're starting to see it as well. I know, I know the D three um, champions were surrounding stacks whenever they saw them and players like Johnny Bansfield just kind of make their team play DD but make their team play team defense just for being like well I'm over here so you better be covering me over there and you better be covering me over there <laughs> yeah individual players can make big differences like that um from what I'm hearing though there's there's a lot of changes happening in the in the youth scene um especially in the US so in a few years I think we'll see them those changes kind of filter through to the college and then club level what are some of those changes is it what you just mentioned uh yeah yeah i mean there's a lot more like flow offense there's a lot more um you know rejection of stacking up um and and this this brings back to to um to the question you asked earlier actually um misconceptions misconceptions about flow offense let's say um and one of the biggest ones is that is that it's an advanced thing right and and people will be like okay yeah we might might introduce flow offense this year at college so right first few trainings right we'll teach people about pivoting and throwing um and then oh you know these these games are really messy so so right let's let's just teach people stack so that then you know we, we'll teach them how to break those stack rules later on and it's like if, you, if you're going to teach someone an offense just so you teach how to, to break the rules of it why don't you just teach someone offense where you don't have to break the rules of it <laughs> like it seems bizarre um and a lot of people have it in their mind that like stack is all stack is almost like part of the rules you know it's part of like you know this is the way the game works you stack up and it's like no that like it doesn't have to be that way at all that doesn't have to be a fundamental it doesn't even have to be people learn like people don't need to learn stack um and i say that just not just from like you know wild theorizing but from years of experience of, of, of training university teams that don't learn stack you know we, we we go over it in order so we can like in order to to learn how to surround it um but like yeah they they just they just play offense with principles they don't the, the players that i teach don't know a name for for what offense they're playing like they just play an offense um and it, yes it's congruent with everything that i say about about hex you know like they spread out and they move the disc quickly and and you know i'm teaching them all the principles about throwing the way that they face after they catch the disc and everything like that but like you know you ask me if they've ever played hex and they were like no <laughs> like like this yeah but then but then like it's 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 just a shame it's just a shame really that that stack is like so ingrained um and it's such a go-to for coaches when they're not sure or when things seem a bit messy then instead of being like you know let's 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 try and like keep a, keep a few yards in front of the disc or you know just trying to tweak the offense instead of that they're like right everyone stack up and then we're going to learn about cutting orders you know and suddenly it's just like castrating um the the the, the whole team and 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 like stifling the enjoyment people get out of the game and out of trainings that's interesting yeah i think it just kind of goes back to that idea of like you don't have to be fully bought into like systems it's more just to kind of like understand principles and then pick up certain principles that you you know you agree with and then kind of almost creating your own system in a sense but not being like super prescriptive with it it sounds like yeah yeah and 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 i would definitely say like the stack systems are, are more complicated right like 
you can because you you have to learn the global structure and you have to have everyone abiding by it to an extent for it to work but with flow offense then it's it's the lack of structure which which helps it work right it's like one of the principles is almost like don't stack up you know <laughs> that doesn't make sense if you know if you, if you have new players don't come to the game and the first thing you tell them is don't stack up they're like what are you talking about um, so it's just like yeah don't don't bunch up in a group just just spread out and it's like well yeah obviously you know like it, it's intuitive to do that anyway so it's like yeah to to get people play and flow you, you just need to give a couple of principles you know like um, but to get them playing stack at a moderate level or, or you know basic level you have to give them loads of stuff let's let's pivot here a little bit so you mentioned you have a pretty extensive coaching background and then you've been implementing this stuff like with uh, like university teams and stuff um what's like a kind of a general progression for you when you're teaching a new player like what are some of the the big key points you want to focus um focus on with them like in order to kind of get them to a, a proficient level throw and go technique it's like immediate like most of the time when people throw around they're just throwing in pairs and they're not running anywhere they're just like stepping and throwing stepping and throwing so then i'm like okay just stand on one leg and throw okay now right lean as you're throwing okay now like accelerate after you release the disc um like i i can spend 80% of my of the throwing around time just focusing on that and still it won't be 50% of the time that people spend you know overall throwing when they when they throw in pairs they're, they're not going to be doing it still so massive focus on that at training um lefty backhands you know like before before teaching flick um when people start playing the game they only need to throw three or four meters and and they don't need to break the force or anything so like they can just put the disc in their other hand and throw it back and like, you don't need to learn flick until until like you want to throw over a bigger distance or you know against harder defense or when you get stuck with a disc in your hand for more than three seconds yeah those are two like initial technique things something i found recently is is like attributing turnovers correctly like a lot of the time beginners will like make an unwise pass on stall zero or one and then the experienced players will be like, oh, you've got 10 seconds, you know, just take your time. And it's like, I don't think that's like the best advice because you don't want someone to be using 10 seconds. You don't want someone to be using like five seconds. You want someone within two or three seconds to have picked out the best option and made the pass to them. So for whatever reason they turned over, like focus on that reason, you know, like, you know, that player was covered, you know, it's usually the thing, you know, just because they called for the disc didn't mean they were free. Um, Try and keep an eye on the defenders when you made that throw because that defender was actually accelerating towards that space or if it's just a if it's an execution error just like you know give advice about technique um very rarely is 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 the right advice kind of you know you have you have 10 seconds like i like people playing fast well but i just you know they, they can make better decisions are there any like drills then that you kind of like to implement like do you have any kind of go-to's in a team setting or even in the, a smaller like one-on-one -on -one setting flags flags is a good one just for like that's just basic throwing we just instead of throwing in pairs you just you have like two cones and you just put them down and either throw through the cones or you throw around the cones it just gives you something to think about um we always do loads of throwing go drills like the uh dribble slalom race um and we play a lot of keep disc right keep disc is like super important for flow offense teams and it's really good for 
getting the disc in and out of the hands of beginners in, in an ultimate like setting but where like the pressure is off and the disc is moving quickly and you don't have to worry about end zones you don't have to pause every time someone scores and there's not like a massive delay on turnovers it's just keep disc is just ultimate without end zones and you just keep moving the disc around and, and running around and having very similar to ultimate like enjoyment um and gaining all that kind of experience um very quickly that's interesting i i don't think i've heard of that before so it's really just just passing around with the objective being just having the disc for as long as possible yeah yeah i mean you got it's like you got defenders as well um mm -hmm. but yeah you, I and mean, you can you can change the objective as a coach you can be like have the disc for a certain amount of time complete a certain number of passes complete a number of passes like consecutively without turning over or or like in total you know add them up each possession you get or who has the disc after one minute um uh and then you can make it bigger you can make it smaller i, I tend to tend towards bigger though like kind of like move the disc around in small space means that i mean if you have to do that in ultimate you you basically already done something wrong you know like <laughs> and there's a lot of that there's a lot of like training for like being in a bad situation um and it's like why don't you train to avoid the bad situation um and then with keep disc you can expand it however as well like i i try to i try to have like some kind of smooth transition between keep disc and ultimate right um and the different the main difference is that ultimate has end zones okay so then with keep disc you'd be like okay play keep disc and until i shout out a direction and then you're scoring in that end zone you know so then they transition from keep disc ultimate to you know ultimate ultimate um because if you if you don't bridge that transition then people will have will have nice flow and move the disc quickly and deep disc and then you go to ultimate and they've changed their like mindset back to ultimate again and everyone's staring at the end zone and looking downfield for three seconds to expand on my point about people training to get out of bad situations um like i think that you should be releasing the disc like within like one second of catching it right if you can yeah and if you have to if you have to catch you lose your momentum and then and then you like turn and face the field and you're not building an attack right then something's already gone wrong right the person that threw it to you hasn't hasn't got the disc back in their hands you know that's something that should be happening like 50 percent of the time at least um and instead you have the disc in your hands and you're static and you're looking at a situation waiting for something to develop right like something's already gone wrong um almost every drill that i did before I started inventing loads of them that were congruent with flow offense starts with you with the disc in your hands static looking downfield right <laughs> with a force on you and it's like it seems seems, to, seems perfectly normal and it's just in the last few years i've just been like that's that's actually a situation we don't want to be in anyway like that's gonna that's gonna be the situation when you pick the disc up after a turnover but like if you're catching the pool and you're moving the dip down the field and you're in flow then you shouldn't be in that static situation so like why are we training for that static let's train to avoid the static situation so now like the beginning of every drill or whatever like there's a i have like a a lead-in throw or you know like or, or the drills of just games now like little mini games so that the disc is always live or yeah just just trying to avoid that kind of repetitive situation yeah i like that a lot i i that's something i'll say i was thinking about kind of over this past season as well is I think more from like a defensive perspective, but I think there are a lot of drills where the defender starts in a perfect position and then it's like, okay, now three, two, one, go. Now it's live. And it's like, I think it, it makes a lot of sense and it can be advantageous to kind of work on 
drills where maybe that defender has to start by running and touching a random cone and then coming back. And now it's like, you know, you're like simulating um, like having to catch up or something like that. Or, yeah, yeah. you know, you, your footwork's always also going to be different. Like it's very rare that you're going to be set in this perfect position and then three, two, one, go. Right now I'm reacting from a position where it's like I'm very comfortable and I, I feel very athletic. But what happens when you have to, you know, do like a 180 turnaround and you get your uh, feet set or, you know, you're changing directions and you have to get your feet set. Like I think that like variability, I think, is, is something that's that's really, really valuable. So, yeah, I, I like that a lot. Yeah, the that it's funny that you say that because the the um the every month we release training video on um Hive Ultimate for patrons. And so that's it that's forced me to like have to be creative and create new drill every single month. Um, which has been great for me. Um and, and for you know the teams that are coaching and, and all the teams that are on the Patreon. Um but the one for this month is um, you know, double dribbling, you know, basically where two players pass the disc back and forth between each other while running in, in the straight line. Mm-hmm. Um I've I've done that before and like had defenders like playing catch up to come and come and join them, but then had the idea um this month that the defenders the defenders start at like a start line and then they race against each other, like 20 yard race or whatever, up until the finish line and the the, the um offense, two offense players are stood either side of the finish line. So then when the defense cross the finish line, then the offense start dribbling back the other way. Um, so the defense basically have a race and then they have to like stop at the end and then run back and try and get a D on the two players that are dribbling back towards the start line, um, which is exactly what you're saying about, you know, defenders starting out of position have to then like regain it. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. It kind of came for, for me, it came from, um, I read this book recently called uh, How We Learn to Move. It's by Rob Gray, I think his name is, but he's like a PhD in uh, motor learning. And essentially they did a study where they had like a super expert blacksmith and then a very novice blacksmith. And they had like a slow motion camera basically record both of them, like hitting a a nail with a hammer. And the theory was that the expert blacksmith was going to do it the same way every single time. But what they found was the novice blacksmith had the same exact technique. So the same exact path every time. And he was missing the nail a lot. Whereas the experts, every single time he swung, it was just a little bit different. We're talking like, you know, micro differences, but he was hitting the nail every time because he's just gotten so good at like adjusting in that variability. So I think like, that's the, that's kind of the principle that we're training with that. It's like, we're not trying to do things exactly the same every single time. We're just trying to like simulate diff- the variability that you would see in game. Cause it's like, you're never going to have two of the same situations in game, even if they feel the same, even if you're doing the same thing, it's always like, even like, you know, 0.001% is going to be different every time. And I think like that's a way you can kind of train for that. So yeah, I really, yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, rather than have a drill where it's like, it recreates the, the outcome that you want to see. It just artificially recreates it, barely learn anything. Or even have a drill where it's like, you know, you have two options. Um, instead, have a game where like the rules encourage you towards a situation where you have to make a dynamic decision between those two options and then yeah your your brain is then slotting that into like into like the game the game part and it's immediately transferable right yeah yeah to your point i like that because it's like sometimes as coaches or even if like work like if you're a player and you're creating a drill sometimes we think we have the perfect outcome but it's like the brain is always going to figure out like the best situation usually so it's like instead of trying to create these pretty 
you know, beautiful technique things and like outcomes. It's like, why don't we just like create a situation like you're saying and see what happens, like see what naturally becomes the the most optimal outcome. Yeah. You know, and you, you kind of then expand that to the whole of the whole of offense, you know, and like um, the way that the way that stacks and set plays and stuff have basically been like engineers trying to design the perfect Frisbee offense by prescribing where people run. But after you play ultimate for a while, you realize that it's better to just make it up as you go along. So then why, why do we have these systems that are designed for prescription when in fact there are other systems now that, that are designed for, you know, making jazz. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Just kind of picking and choosing what, what works the best and, you know, just playing around with it, see, seeing what happens. Yeah. Um, Cool. Let's pivot uh, once again here. So kind of going back to the idea of Hive, and like you were saying, um, it started, or I guess not started, but where it really started getting traction was like from your analysis. And I think that's one of the things that like when I first got into Ultimate and I saw your content, I was like, the the analysis here is really good. Obviously, like the video production was uh, very good. Like the editing and stuff was good. But I think the actual content and how well you were picking up on little details that I think a lot of people miss. And I think is what um, what I think draws a lot of people to you. And it's like, it's very valuable. Like what, what are some of the things that like you look for when you're watching film that you think maybe the average film watcher isn't seeing? Um, I mean, I've got a very curious mind. Um, you know, if there's something that I don't understand, I tend to just dive deeper. So if I see something happened on the field and I don't understand why, then then I yeah, rewind another second. You know, okay, what led up to that? You know, find try and find like the root cause. Um and then and then try and like see see all see all the different elements that are that are coming together to to cause something. Um and there's a lot of like rewinding. There's a lot of a lot of seeing, you know, not just you know that throw but then like what happened three seconds before that like how did this person end up here like where's the sun pointing from <laughs> that kind of stuff like um yeah just kind of looking at looking at all those different angles to try and like really get down to like the root cause of it and and yeah it's, it's a bit hit and miss like sometimes sometimes I'll, I'll have a theory as to why something um is the case but i'll normally make it quite clear like i think you know i think i think this is what's going on here uh, um and then other times it'll be like obvious you know it's like Oh, they've tried to clap catch it this way around, and that's why they dropped it. You know, because their hands were actually like awkwardly pushing over each other. Um, and Noah did a video on this where then he noticed that in, in a player, and and then when he looked all the other footage of them, and every single clap catch they did was right hand on top. So they they never actually developed the left hand on top clap catch, which was the cause of the turnover in the end. Um, whereas you know someone who who didn't look that detailed would would kind of just go like, oh, it's just a drop. <laughs> you know yeah no i i remember watching that video and thinking that was that was kind of mind-blowing because it's just like such a minor detail that 99 percent of people i think would miss but pick up on that i think is cool it's quite so, telling as well like the, the fact that that's not common knowledge that you should clap catch without with be able to clap catch with either hand on top of the disc like we're talking about catching a frisbee like that's pretty fundamental to our sport so like what else is there that we don't know <laughs> yeah for sure i think that speaks a lot just to how young the sport is too right like it's a relatively young sport yeah, relatively small sport not a lot of resources going into it like to think we have the answers to everything i think is is silly it's like instead of 
I mean, just like with anything, right? Like instead of having answers, just ask better questions and then we'll continue to get to, to better and better answers. Right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot out there. Yeah, it does it does baffle me like when it when it comes to vert stack, um like I just can't imagine if you get a team of any sport, like a team of seven players that play any other sport together, and then and then you say, Okay, you're gonna play defense against this frisbee team. And then the frisbee team all stand in a line. It's side stack, you know, they all stand in a line on the side of the field, go play defense. Like then they're not gonna like mark them all one to one and then get isolated and beaten. Like that's just that's not that's not how a team operates. So for me, for me, that is I still don't quite have my head around it how we went for so long um thinking that one to one defense against stack was a good idea. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more then about um like the surrounding of Vert Stack? concept then um yeah um and this is something that i teach beginners as well so it's another thing that that like people think is advanced but actually if you just if you just tell people to try it then they, they learn it it's just just like they learn every other skill in ultimate um yeah as soon as as soon as offense players are near to each other then they can be surrounded um whether it's just two players and you have someone covering the under someone covering the deeps it's more efficient for the defense to to work together um, it's true for two players, three players, four and five. It gets more, it gets easier. It gets more true as as the numbers increase. So you have a five people in the stack. Five people can just surround them. It doesn't matter that much about open side break side and stuff. So long as you're basically just in a ring around them, and then any anywhere any direction that any of the offense run, their first two or three steps are going to be towards a defender. Like um, after that. Like after that basic kind of setup, it's just a case of then like training, you know, like the defense, if you if you do the right drills um, and if you give them enough reps, like game-like situations, then the defense figure out, oh, okay, every time someone leaves the stack, we have to have one person go with them. Oh, if, if someone leaves our surrounding setup, that leaves a hole. So when someone goes with them, we need to like cover that gap with the other remaining defenders. Oh, you know, if three people cut out, there's only two left and we're really loose, then they just throw it down the middle. So, okay, the less people that are in the stack, the tighter we need to be. Like, it, it all just kind of like falls into place. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Yeah, I'm sure. Like you said, you're starting to see it at the higher level. And I'm, I'm sure we'll see more and more of it, like, as it gets implemented more at, like, the, the younger level. We should, we should have seen it. Like the day after Vert Stag was played the first time, it should have been like, oh, they're stacking up. Oh, how, how do we defend against it? Oh, let's surround it. They should, like, it should have been like so quick. But yeah, like, I mean, there were things like the clam and stuff, you know, credit to Parallel for documenting that. But like, for it, for it to be like, yeah, it's taken, it's taken too long for it to just be like an automatic reaction. Most people play stack, you should learn how to surround. All right, cool. Well, we're, we're kind of reaching the end of time here. So I want to, Finish off with something new. Um, I'm going to do kind of like a speed round here. So take, you know, answer the question as best as you like, but, you know, we're going to kind of uh, speed or rapid fire through a couple questions here. Okay. All right. So first one, right, ultimate's a sport where even at the highest level, not many people are getting paid. This kind of loaded question that I think about it, but not many people are getting paid, right? In your opinion, uh, quick, like, superficial plan how do we get ultimate to become like a full-time job like what what's ultimate lacking on a business scale um it's, it's it's lacking viewership right with with views comes sponsors 
I think that's it. Like, where where else can money come from? All right, cool. Uh, favorite player? My mind went initially Ryan McDonald because of the way he plays, and then I went Johnny Bansfield because of the way he plays even more. And then I was like, oh, but then maybe think of people think I'd just be saying that because of the recent drama. Uh, Valeria Cardenas, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, good pick, good pick. Favorite throw? Uh, Hammer, I think. Nice. But, yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, advice for like new players or new coaches? Just enjoy, I guess. Like, okay, one word, enjoy. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, and then what, what's the biggest difference you see in like the European game versus the US game? Uh, I think the I think the disc is moving like faster and less predictably in Europe at the moment. All right, cool. Well, yeah, that is everything. Thank you very much, Felix, for being on the show today. Thank you, Justin. Been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Tobu Fitness Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on Instagram and YouTube at Tobu Fitness. And to get info on one-on-one coaching and training programs, hit the website at tobufitness.com. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next time on the Tobu Fitness Podcast.